0: Uh, actually, I'm going to read the verse today, and then we're going to pray in preparation for the message. We usually kind of do this in a different order, but I'm, uh, uh, for those of you all who are not haven't been here the last few weeks, we're kind of shifting away from using uh, the slides for the scripture verse every week. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but uh, one of the biggest and, and most uh, pressing for me has uh, been that I want people to bring their Bibles and I want them to read them. Uh, and so uh, encouraging you all to, to either read in your personal Bible or to look at the screen. Um, Abby, can you run downstairs and grab a pair of glasses off of my desk where my computer usually is? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I want you all to look at the Bible. I want you to hold the scriptures in your hands. I want us to get into the habit of of considering it closer and, and being more focused on the word in front of us, like in front of us. And so if you're in the online community, run, grab a Bible or open Bible Gateway next to it. Uh, so you'll have to close your Facebook tab or not your Facebook tab because that's where you're watching the service. Uh, or I'm just going to jump into the text before I say anything else that I shouldn't although I was hoping my daughter would get here with glasses a little faster. Uh, We're picking up in Mark chapter 5. That is in the New Testament. And uh, so we're going to pick up in 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him... He fell at the feet. Ha! Ah. Um, <laughs> he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, "My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay hands on her, and that she may be made well and live." And he went with him. By the way, I want to hit pause there, real quick. That is like there's no discussion. There's no nothing. He says my daughter is dying, come with me so you can lay hands on her and heal her. And he says, all right, let's go, which is amazing. But we'll come back to that. Um, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. And she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? So we're going to pray uh, real quick for the message, and then we will dive into our text today. Uh, let's bow our heads, um, heavenly Father. I pray that you would pray that you would be with us, uh, that you would fill us with your presence, Lord God. That, that your Spirit would speak through me, despite my uh, tendency to to make mistakes, despite my worries about um, about everything other than life speaking the truth and love and and proclaiming the gospel despite you know our distraction and our worry our hidden sin our rebellion all of that stuff our hard hearts i pray that you would be with us and that your spirit would move through me and and pierce the people who are in the room today that that we would hear from you that we would know you better that we would draw into your presence this morning lord i pray for your grace and your mercy pray for new life for seeds to be planted, for for us to just be prompted to fall at your feet over and over again today and and for the rest of our lives. Um, we praise you for Jesus and ask that you would draw our eyes to him this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, Jess, what is the number on the thermostat right now? 75. I... Um, I'm going to tell you that we were supposed to have air conditioning installed on Monday. And I came in on Monday and I waited all day. Like Linus waiting for the great pumpkin. I was waiting for the great air conditioner installation, guys. And you know what? Just like Linus, they didn't show up. And then I figured, well, on Tuesday. And you know what? They didn't show up then either. Or Wednesday or Thursday. And finally I got word that... They, um, it was a mess up. They got the wrong air conditioner in stock. It was just not going to work out and we were not going to have air conditioning today. And I have watched the thermostat since yesterday with dismay. You know why? Because, although I know there's a handful of folks in the room who are deeply joyed that it is room temperature right now. Sarah's not here. Sarah's not here. So she's not here to say, oh, I love this weather, um, I, I've been preaching on and off for about 25 years, and I will tell you, the warmer the room is, the less people pay attention, and the more likely they are to fall asleep. Um, I uh, I wish I was more spiritual, but I am not. Uh, there are times, like every Sunday, actually, when I write sermons, I worry about whether or not I'm going to tell the right story, or whether or not I'm going to be interesting enough to keep everybody awake, whether or not I'm going to end up starting at a quarter till... The hour because the guy who did prayer talked too much. Um, I don't care. I like. I felt like I needed to pray. That was it. I was told I had to then, and so I prayed and I prayed as I felt God led me. Um, but all the while I was thinking, the longer there is, I don't know, a handful of people in the room, the warmer it will be. Everybody got it, and so the temperature slowly crept up. And there's a part of me that was like, oh my goodness. This is awful. It is going to be hot, and everybody's going to fall asleep, and nobody's going to listen to the sermon, and it's going to be a complete waste. What a mess. And um, it's kind of a catch-22, actually. The more people that are in the room, the hotter it gets, the faster it gets. And so there's a part of me that's torn inside, and it's like, is it going to get, like, is it going to be a light turnout, and it'll be less hot, or a larger turnout, and a larger nap time? And... Like, I wrestle with that. And it sounds weird, but I do wrestle with it. And I wrestle with it after and before. And preaching, like, most preachers have a, have a streak of people-pleaser in them. And, like, it makes it really hard because you get up and you talk, and then you, like, worry, and you beat yourself up and everything else. And you know what? Um, it doesn't matter. Because nobody else is thinking what I'm thinking. I'm crazy. And all the other preachers are crazy. Um, but the step beyond that... And here's the crazy thing, the really crazy thing. Whenever I think I have done a spectacular sermon, no one responds. Whenever I think I've done a terrible job and I am ready to go, like, retire, um, I have people that come to me and, like, say, this was was life-altering, thank you. Because it's not me, it's Jesus. Everybody got it? There's nothing I am bringing to the table. There's no air conditioning there, which there is no air conditioning. There's no fans. There's no this, that, or the other. There's nothing, no trick, no rhetorical, magical thing I'm going to pull off that is going to make hearts change. It is only, only, only Christ. And some days we are called to sit in the oven, right? To sit in the heat, to sit in the humidity, to sit in the storm and hope that Jesus shows up and acts. And so, I'm really hoping Jesus shows up in acts, or at least that Marla keeps nudging Jim to keep him awake through the sermon, because that is the measure by which, like Jim is the measure, if Jim stays awake through a whole sermon, it's a good sermon. We are in Mark chapter 5. So, we have worked through a chunk of Mark, and like this little section is just a series of events that the apostles or the disciples go through with Jesus, and it reveals all kinds of cool stuff. And, like, I'm calling this short little series Adventures with Jesus because um, because they're kind of adventures with Jesus. It is where the rubber starts hitting the road, and all kinds of stuff is revealed, and people figure out who Jesus is, and all of this. And, like, this little section, um, we're going to be talking about what are you looking for. When you look for Christ, when you, like, turn to God, when you go and pray, when you think about, like, the fact that you were created, that Christ died for you. Are you looking for something or are you looking for someone? Everybody with me? Some of y'all are looking for air conditioning. Um, and I'm assured it'll be next week. Uh, so quick background. Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, who is not an eyewitness of the life of Christ. He was, however... Uh, the guy who took notes on peter the apostle peter 's preaching, and so it is peter 's preaching notes that we 're going through. This is a like an amazingly complex and tightly packed and thematic like full of themes and little undercurrents and everything else. This book is amazing, even though it 's the shortest, which blows my mind because I always think things should be long winded if they 're going to be brilliant it 's been my experience in life so far. Um, Two of the big themes we're going to see here are nothing, nobody, is insiders and outsiders. Throughout the book, there's talk of people who are insiders and people who are outsiders. Oftentimes, crowds of people around Jesus are the outsiders. And the people who are the insiders are the people who have no business being near Jesus. We see where religious officials and Pharisees and teachers of the law and rabbis and everyone else are the outsiders. And the crowds are the outsiders. And people like Matthew, who everybody hated... He's an insider. Um, Or in this instance, we're going to see a couple of, like, we're going to see a lot of that. And so we're going to work our way through it. The other thing is God's kingdom. This section is a visible representation of the fact that God's kingdom is invading the world. And we're going to see all of these signs and wonders and examples of how God's kingdom comes about in amazing ways. And it comes about despite storms, despite Satan and demons like possessing people and attacking, despite like, like opposition and things being spoken against them, despite the fact that people don't understand what he's talking about, despite the fact that... Jarius, Jarius, I have not been able to say this right consistently or the same way twice. So I'm just going to say it different every time. And hopefully it won't be too distracting. So Jarius's daughter (laughs) um, is dying. And despite that, despite death, God's kingdom comes. This woman in the story has been suffering for like literally decades, um, years and years and like, God's kingdom came anyway. And so, like, as we dig into this, here's some important bits that are going to play into this. If you haven't seen the series so far, like, like I'm trying to... It, the problem... So it's cool having so much interconnected stuff because it's exciting. And it gives you, like, huge depth. The uncool part is that when you preach a sermon on it, there's a whole lot of backstory that plays in. And so, previously, in the Gospel of Mark... Um, We had all of this talk about the cleansing of the world, about how Christ is coming to cleanse. We saw where Jesus is with the demoniac, like an unclean man from an unclean land, living in an unclean place filled with unclean spirits, and Christ cleansed him. Matthew, who was ceremonially unclean, and you couldn't even touch his house or eat food there, and Christ entered it and it became clean. We're going to talk a lot more about that next week. Got it? But just so you know, I didn't miss it. It'll be next week. Um, but why does it matter here? Well, just understand what it is, and it'll come in. I'll get there. Um, when Christ was approached by different groups to oppose him, to give resistance, and that's in chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken, we have all of these, like, examples of resistance. And one of the examples is a group of guys, teachers of the law, we talked about this week, and we talked about it the week before, last week and the week before, we're talking about it again, um that uh like like these guys they come to him these teachers of the law and they're like hey this guy he's casting out demons by Beelzebul which means lord of the manor not lord of the flies um which is Beelzebul, I think or Beelzebub actually um but Beelzebul the lord of the manor and Christ responds that Satan cannot cannot cast out Cannot, I'm sorry, it's way too warm here for that. Um, that Satan cannot cast out by Satan, right? Like a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. And so Jesus is like, look... Um, only like if you're going to rob a strong man, you got to tie him up first and then you can plunder his house, which is a play on words from that Beelzebul thing, right? Like the Lord of the manor, which is Satan. So he's like, Hey, I'm here to plunder the house and I'm going to tie up the strong man. And he does. And we see that over and over again in the texts that follow when he's in the storm, right? Like the, like the story. So there's the storm. And then there's the casting out of the demon, and then there's where we're at. The storm, the calming of the storm, is literally him... um, Sorry. Is literally him, uh, like, calming the opposition of this world, or Satan. Because when he stands up and does it, he does it in the language of Jewish, like, exorcism rites. And so he's performing an exorcism on the weather, which I listen to the farmers, and I assume... Many of y'all would love to do exorcisms on the weather sometimes, um, especially in the fall thunderstorms when they set the fields on fire. Um, but he like commands the weather. And then he shows up and there's this demon who runs up to him and he's like, oh my gosh, you're like like the Son of God. You're here to torture us. And they try to tie him up before and they tried to bind him and he would break all that stuff because you can't bind the strong man if you don't have the ability to do so. And Christ literally... Ca- Cast out this demon, and so Christ has this authority and this ability to bind the strong man, to to act in these huge, awesome ways, and to bring cleansing. Now, as we dive into this text, it is a sandwich, not a standard sandwich. I know you're all disappointed. No BLT here, but it is a textual sandwich because we have. Ge- Uh, gyresis who approaches jesus and i'm just going to say it different every time i told you um to just try and keep you guys awake i know it's like 80 degrees in here um so we have gyresis who approaches jesus and begs falls on his face he is desperate and he begs come save my daughter and then we have an interruption and then there's a conclusion to that story we're going to do that part next week um, the middle of the sandwich is this woman with the unclean spirit. And we're really going to dig into this, but we're going to touch on both parts. So, big ideas. First off, desperate people come to Christ in these stories. When Jesus is in the boat and sleeping and the storm is raging and the boat is sinking, literally sinking, these guys are like waking him up and they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? Why? Because they're scared. Right? They're scared. They're like, hey, we're going to die. Can't you help us? And like that fear drove them to Christ. And the funny thing, again, I've said it like three times, third week in a row, when Jesus calms the storm, they're more terrified that he could stand up and say, stop raining. And it stopped. They're like, who is this guy? Why is he so powerful? Um, but these guys are desperate. So the men in the storm were desperate. The demon possessed man was Desperate, his whole life was destroyed by Christ, like not by Christ, sorry, by Satan, by these demons, by the legions, and Christ comes and rescues him. But like, like the he comes and he falls at Jesus's feet, and the demons speak. But in reality, like he's at Jesus's feet because he needs to be delivered. And then we see, like in the first little section here. Uh, so if you're looking at your Bible, this would be 21 to 24. Um, Like they've come back to Jewish territory and like the crowds are there surrounding him. These are not desperate crowds, mind you. These are people who are like, hey, something's happening. Let's go see. If you live in a small town, you know nothing ever happens. And so when something exciting happens, like a chainsaw fight on Main Street, everybody shows up to see it. You know, well, after the fact, nobody wants to see it at the time, Um, unless you were at the coffee shop at the time. Anyway, but like. They all show up and they're pressing in and the crowds are there. They're seeking him out because they're desperate. Yeah, probably not because they're excited. Yes, but these are people who are not pursuing Christ like like in an intimate and close way. They're standing near him. Instead, we see. um, I don't know, Jarius, I would say I probably said it right that time. Um, like like approach, and the crowd parts for him, because Jarius is an important man. He is sort of like president of the synagogue. It would be similar to the head elder. Got it? The head elder shows up and everybody parts, except in this community, the hel- head elder is like a really elevated position. There's a little more interesting stuff related to that. We're not going to get into it. Um, just understand he's like the head guy at the, at the local synagogue. There might've been two, but there probably was just one. Um, and he shows up and everybody separates. Now here's what's cool. This is a religious authority and it is one of the only times I'm aware of where we see a religious leader approach Christ in the open, without anyone around, like, or excuse me, with everyone around, right? Because you have, like, one guy, one of the Sanhedrin, who approaches Jesus at night under the cover of darkness, and nobody sees. But this guy shows up in the crowd, everybody sees him, and he separates the crowd, walks up, and falls down at Christ's feet. Like, like he is a person of importance, of of significance. And, like, the fact that he approached him like this and fell at his feet, that's, like, it's humbling. Right, if I lay at somebody's feet, that is a humbling thing. It's not something that, like, you see happen on an everyday basis. In Oriental culture, like Eastern, Middle Eastern culture, honor and pride were huge. And so, like, like the story of the prodigal son, where the father runs out to meet his son, um, he would have to like hike up his robes and run like I, I'm sure like women run with skirts, right? Like it's embarrassing. Jewish men ran nowhere because they didn't show their legs to anyone. Um, the fact that this guy falls at Jesus' feet is humbling. And it would have been a, like, kind of a scandal. And he is so scared about what's going to happen to his daughter that he, like, he doesn't care. He publicly humiliates himself, lowers himself, humbles himself before Jesus, and begs, Please, my daughter is dying. Come save her. Why? Because he is desperate. Everybody got it? He is a desperate man. Desperate people who approach Christ are a theme in these sections. The boat's sinking. I'm possessed by the devil, which is a pretty big complaint. My daughter is dying. And then in the next section, this woman. He is a desperate man, but what is he looking for? He is looking for Jesus? Not really. He's looking for his daughter to be healed. He's not looking for Christ. He's not looking for God. He's not looking for any of those things. He needs his daughter to be rescued. That's a big deal. And it's an important point because we see it again in a moment. Um, by the way, quick note before we jump to our next little section. Um, Jesus' response, and I pointed it out, like the guy falls at his feet and begs, and Jesus just immediately goes with him. Um, We see this happen a few times in the scriptures like in the book of mark We see the story of the walking on water and so like the apostles are are in the boat. It's a big storm They're all scared. They see Jesus walking on water Um, And in a great contrast between what happened when they were in the boat that was sinking and they're like save us And when they're in the boat and they're like, oh, yeah, he said we had no faith So here we are in the boat sinking." Like, I'll have faith, Peter says. I'll get out and I'll walk on the water with him. And he did. And then he starts looking at the world around him. And he's like, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble. And he starts thinking. And he says, hey, save me, Jesus. And Jesus immediately, the text says, immediately reaches down and grabs him. This is a big deal. And it's important as we look at this text and the particular angle, the particular material we're going to pull out of it, it is important to understand that Jesus' response is immediate. However, he did not immediately heal the daughter, nor did he immediately appear at the house. He gets sidetracked along the way, which I resonate with. (laughs) That was a measure to see who's still awake. I see yawns. I see sweat. I considered going home and changing into shorts, and then I figured the bright light from my legs would blind everyone and keep you awake. Um, So Jesus immediately responds to the need. Um, we're going to find, by the way, Jesus gets sidetracked and the daughter dies while he's sidetracked, right? Because Jesus shows up in his own time, right? A Savior shows up when he means to, not early, not late, when he means to. What? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. That, is that a movie thing? Um, in the book... That's the Jesus archetype in the book, so leave me alone. Um, So then we have the woman. He is in this crowd. They are pressed around him. Now, we're going to draw some stuff out of this. First off, you need to understand, so so this is a woman who has been bleeding, like, for years, right? Um, Number one, this is probably an unpleasant experience. Um, I think it's an unpleasant experience now, And there's an awful lot of hygiene that's different now than it was then. Everybody with me? Um, Jewish laws, as it related to, like the cleanliness laws, which we no longer follow because they're abolished by Christ. There's a whole conversation about that. I ain't getting into it right now. Um, But Jewish laws for women who were menstruating were, like, strict. And at this time in history, they were enforced above and beyond because the Talmud interpreted some pretty harsh versions of this. Um, this woman, like, so at the time, if a woman was menstruating, she was expected to be out of the community entirely until it was over. Like, she could not be seen, she could not be in public, she could not anything. If a man came in contact, physical contact, touched, a woman who was menstruating, he also had to leave town completely, be excluded from everyone until she was, until the next day, actually, for the man. Um, if a woman sat on a pillow while she was on her period, the pillow was considered unclean and had to be, I think, thrown away, actually, but I'm not certain off the top of my head. There are very strict rules for this woman. And so Jesus is in public walking. He's surrounded by a huge crowd of people. Where's the woman? In the crowd. Is she out of town like she's supposed to be? No. She's actually breaking the law and social norm. So she is taking a risk at this point. Everybody with me? This is not a small risk, it's an enormous risk. Um, not only is she taking a risk, like, well, she is taking this huge risk, and, like, in order to get close to Jesus, because she's like, nobody has been able to help me, maybe this guy can. Maybe this guy can fix it. Now, I'm going to say this is a woman who is desperate for healing, desperate for deliverance. And here's why. And there was a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years. I said decades earlier, sorry, 12 years. And who had, excuse me, this is all in super emphatic Greek, which is lost, but I'm going to read it. And I'm going to kind of emphasize some words here to make the point. Who had suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had Say that again all that she had so she'd suffered a lot she'd seen every doctor available she had spent everything and by the way everything this is a woman who could not get married maybe she got married and then this started it's possible but if she was not a married woman that means she was not really financially well off she relied on her parents and her parents would have problems because like Can't have her in the house most of the time because she's unclean. Like, there are problems here. Um, So, she'd spent a great deal of money. She'd spent everything that she had. She was destitute. She was desperate. She was lost in a very real way. She suffered under many physicians. Sorry, let me. And actually, not only had the doctors, like, taken all her money, but she'd gotten worse. So having heard reports about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched him. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week because there's a huge, huge, huge underlying thing happening here. Um, The most important one, I'll tell you, and this is a hint for next week, she's ritualistically unclean. So when she touches Jesus, he should become ritualistically unclean. But we talked about this, Chuck Norris, when he jumps in water, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. Christ is so holy that when things touch him, they become holy. He does not become soiled. Next week, because there's a whole lot of Old Testament stuff built into this. It's really cool and exciting, but not right now. Tune in next week. Anybody still awake? Is anybody melting yet? I am. Um, wilting like a hothouse flower. Uh, <laughs> so she touches the hem of his robe, probably a tassel. There's like, uh, tassels on the corners and little fringe on the bottom. It was a ritualistic requirement. She probably touched the tassel and she believed it would heal her. Why? Because throughout the ancient world, people believed that rulers, by their mere aura, by their presence, had the ability to grant requests and healing, like sort of magically. Um, there are actually accounts of Alexander the Great when he would go in public he would be mobbed by crowds of people trying to touch his arms or his knees for some reason or his or his feet or whatever in order to get their blessing from him because if I just touch this guy it 'll bless me right and like for whatever like she she probably looked at him and said i don 't know who this guy is, but if I just touch him i 'll be healed there 's again an old testament thing there we 'll get to next week um, but She comes up and she touches him and sure enough, it works. Either by superstition or like by a reading of the scriptures in a certain way or whatever, she gets healed. And she feels it immediately, like the pain stops, and whatever else is going on. I don't not a woman, I don't want to be a woman. I I don't drink Bud Light. I don't none of that. Um don't shop at Target. Um it's a joke. It's a joke. Again, humor. I And by the way, that's another weird preaching thing. And it is a thing that happens. We worry. I worry about the jokes I make because I don't want to offend people. And I often don't carefully consider what I'm going to say. I just say it. Um, and so I apologize, but I do worry a great deal about it. And I'll worry about that stupid joke forever because I'll be like, oh, my gosh, somebody got offended and they're going to be mad at me. So having healed her, so she comes up, she is desperate. She is on the opposite end of the social spectrum from this guy. So we got one guy who's at the top of the heap and we got this gal who is at the bottom and both of them approach Christ and both of them ultimately fall at his feet. Why? Because when Jesus hits pause and says, Hey, Hey, who touched me? She comes out and she falls at his feet. Why? Why? Because she's scared, but she came out because she was desperate. In both instances, these are people who came to Christ out of desperation. I am at the end of my rope. What else am I going to do? What else is there? And so, this woman at the extreme other end... Um, by the way, at the end of uh, this reading, in verse 29, um, disease or illness is the word mastix. To give you an idea of how severe this is. It is a combination of physical pain and humiliation. It's often the word used to describe public flogging. The wound received from a public flogging. Or something like a public humiliation as a punishment. Like to give you an I mean like this is bad for her. Um, moving right along. So understanding like that she had violated legal and social norm, that she had made this man unclean who healed her, or she was afraid she had, she still came to Christ. But was she looking for Jesus? No. She was looking for something. For healing. Same as the other guy. Heal, save, rescue. Same as the disciples. Rescue. Same as um, the demoniac. Deliver. Looking for Something. But Jesus did not come to give something. He came to seek and save the lost. Right? He says that when he's at Matthew's house. It's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. I came here for those guys. And so when Jesus realizes somebody has touched him and there's a healing that's happened. Why? Because it's Jesus, right? We can assume he knows. Um, when Jesus realizes this happens, he stops everything, stops the crowd, jerius's daughter is dying by the way, across town. He stops everything he's like, "Hey, who did that? Who touched me? Who just got healed? Who did it? And everybody around him they're looking at each other like, "Are you kidding like and the disciples actually finally like, I think I, it's easy to read this, and I've always read it as sort of a fast sequence of events, but if you think about what's actually going on here is, he is in this crowd, they're pressing close to him, he hits the brakes, and then spends several minutes saying, all right, who did it? Did you ever in class or with your kids? All right, so somebody did it. We're going to wait. We'll wait here all day if we have to, right? We won't eat dinner. We'll wait. Tell me who did this. And Jesus stops, and everybody is looking, and they're all looking around, and this woman, who is not supposed to be in public, is not supposed to be in crowds of people, is not supposed to touch people, hides. She is terrified. She, like, tries to blend into the crowd, but... Jesus is persistent in seeking her, and he would not move on. Even when the people around him pushed him to move on, he stopped and held everything. And her reason for hiding, she was probably afraid. She was probably afraid that she'd be reprimanded, that her neighbors would look at her and think, oh, it's that disgusting woman, right? Oh, Um, she was probably afraid. Maybe Jesus would take it back. Right? Who knows? But for whatever reason, this fear kept her from stepping forward to Jesus. But she was looking for healing, and Jesus stopped everything to look for her. Because here's the deal, and this is where it's really amazing we can easily look at Christ as the source of forgiveness, as the source of rain. When we pray for it as the source of our daily bread as the source of our comfort as the source of our like emotional fulfillment. Like when we sing those weird God is my girlfriend kind of songs that were popular in the nineties, you guys know the pop every contemporary Christian song. You could take Jesus out and put boyfriend and it would be like a, and you can go the other way. Um, which has led to some great parodies. Uh, that I haven't seen any of. So um, we can look at Jesus this way, but Jesus is not looking to dump out treasure on us or to give us new toys or to make our life fun or easy. He is looking for you. He's looking for you. And you can try to hide. That's the thing. You can try to hide. And people do it all the time. They hide their depression. They hide their hidden sin, like that sin that you don't want anybody to know, like like the pornography or the, the stealing or the shame about this thing that happened or the way that you think or the bitterness that's developing in your heart. You can try and hide, but you cannot hide from Christ. You cannot. And the terrible thing is that, actually the terrible and wonderful thing is that He won't stop. He'll leave the 99 to come looking for you and all she had to do was step out of the crowd and say yeah it's me this is it it was me and all she had to do was step out and say it and he didn't you know rebuke her he didn't yell at her he didn't he didn't like mock her he didn't push her down um with fear and trembling, she fell down before Him and told Him the whole truth. And He said to her, Daughter, that's a word, isn't it? Not woman, not gross lady. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so how Jesus responds is, he calls her family. He blesses her. He offers her peace. By the way, there's a theory that part of the reason that she might have been called out, that Jesus was so emphatic about it, and I don't think it's just this, but part of it is by publicly confessing what happened and acknowledging the change that's taken within her, by Christ holding her close in public, um, everybody in town knew who she was and what was happening. And now everyone in town knew Christ had made her whole and cleaned her. Right, she could hide, but hiding would only make it worse. And there are a lot of sins. Actually, most sins are like that. The more you hide them, the worse they get. Right, and they tend to destroy you. Um, Satan wants us to hide things in the dark, bringing them out and confessing them and drawing them into the open, um, is is huge. So. All right, that is the text. So what do we do with it? First off, you need to understand, in both instances in this text, desperate people went to Jesus. Right? Desperate people went to him. Throughout, desperate people. And I'm going to tell you, if you are in a place of desperation, if you have sin, if you have fear, if you have hurt, if you have brokenness, if your boat is sinking, if whatever else is going on, if it is there, take it to Jesus. Christ... Died to take punishment for your sins. And if we are in Christ, old you is gone and new you has come. Like the past is gone forever and the new person that you are is forever there. And for eternity there. And so like, if you bring it to Christ, Christ has the ability to heal you, to make you whole, to fix it. Does he do it immediately? Sometimes. But, um... Um, Gyranius, I'm trying, it's, I didn't think about this. It was off the cuff and now coming up with a new name every time is hard. The dad, his daughter is somewhere else. And actually while they're dawdling, while, you know, and you can imagine Gyranius, they're like, Hey, whoever did it come forward so we can get to my daughter. She's dying and she died. And what did Jesus do? That's next week, but I'm going to tell you, here's the hint. He brings her back to life. Well, what if Jesus had showed up before she died? Well, it wouldn't have been his timing, would it? He showed up right when he meant to. Sometimes when we ask for healing and we ask for help, he waits. Right? And that's hard. Um, it's actually my last point in the, uh, in the application here is, like, this woman, she's at the end of her, or, I'm sorry, I don't know, it's in there somewhere. I'm going to stop reading that and just talk. Um, Sometimes God waits. And sometimes he waits because, number one, we're not asking. Right? Like that's in James. You know, you receive not because you ask not. Like if you're not desperate enough to turn to me, then you really don't need me all that badly. When you hit the point that you're desperate, suddenly you realize that nothing you do is going to work. And I've done that, right? Like where I put Eric fans everywhere in this building and I prop doors open and everything else. And I'm just like... Lord, bring it down five degrees so people pay attention. I talked about it. I did self-referential, hoping it would trick you guys into listening. Listener or not, the Holy Spirit makes you hear. And after all of my tricks, I said, Lord, they hear or they don't hear, right? It's your sermon. It's your church. It's your body. You do it. And sometimes our desire, sometimes my desire, one of my biggest sins is to come up with every solution in the book before I ask Jesus. For us as the body, we need to understand that desperation doesn't need to be the reason we come to Him. The reason we come to Him is because we love Him. Right? The reason we come to Him is because we want to be near Him. The reason we come to Him is because He is our life. I... I, uh, I like spending time with my wife and kids. You know why? Because I love them. Because I feel more complete when I'm with them. Spending time with Jesus doesn't just meet my exterior need. It doesn't just meet my spiritual need. It meets every need. And Christ is looking for me and he's looking for you. And so before we have needs, we need to be with him. That's a part of the idea here. But when we have needs, he needs to be first and not just first prayer, sometimes prayer. And like, it just is what it is. You guys ever go to a baseball game? Like, what's the first thing they do at the baseball game? What? They sing the national anthem. Right, And we do it because it's America, and this is this thing we do. And then, having sung the national anthem, they play ball. Play ball, right? Does the national anthem then translate into any part of the rules of baseball? Do we sing it again between innings? No. Uh, in the seventh inning stretch, do we stop to do the Pledge of Allegiance? Oftentimes, prayer looks like that. We pray, and then we do. Or we do, and then we pray Because like nothing else is working, right? But in reality, prayer is the beginning, the middle and the end of the whole process. Prayer, like, oh, wow, God, help me do this. Maybe part of the deal is that I'm supposed to do it, right? Like that's a a thing that um, Jeremy says to people really quick now. You know, hey, Jeremy uh, Eccles, uh, Jeremy, the the faucet downstairs is broken and someone needs to fix it. Oh, great. When are you going to do it? Because God brought it to your attention, knowing that you would probably need to do it yourself. Um, Prayer runs through. We pray not asking God to wait on us, but asking God to be with us and to direct us. And sometimes directing us means directing us to do it ourselves. Directing us to be a David Durga who fixes people's cabinets even if they didn't ask. Guilt and shame can push us away from that. Um, sometimes the desire to look at God like a cosmic vending machine can push us away from that where prayer becomes this laundry list of, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, like sitting in Santa's lap. And it's not supposed to be that it is intimacy and closeness with God. It is pursuing God first, foremost, beginning and end. Do we ask for stuff? Yes. In the same way that you ask your dad and your mom for stuff when you're a little kid, Right. The same way infants cry out for milk and nursing and stuff like that, right? That's where we go. Because to be close to God is more important than anything else. Um, There's other stuff in this text that we're going to dig into next week. But really, what did I wanted to drive home today? What I wanted you to walk out the door with today that I have taken 40 minutes. I'm going to try and be short because it's so hot and I can't even do that right. Um, What I want you to walk out the door with today is this idea, this truth that God draws you in. That Christ desires to know you. That if you are at the end of your rope, if you are drowning in sin, if you have a brother or sister or mother or father or child who is drowning and enslaved in their sin, if you are looking at those people and saying, God, what the heck? Pray and then pray and then pray. And when you're done praying, pray some more because only God saves. Only Christ saves. The air conditioning might have made it pleasant in here and might have made it easier for us to listen. Ain't changing your heart. I feel like air conditioning could give me a religious experience, but I know only the Holy Spirit blowing in to this dry and empty heart does it. Come to Christ. Call out to Him in your need. Call out to Him when you don't need. Call out to Him day and night constantly. I hope this scattered message pointed you in the right direction. I'm kind of hot and uncomfortable and I'm I'm praying more than anything that the heat and discomfort that you experienced this morning isn't in your exterior, but in your heart. And that it's enough to drive you to fall at His feet and beg. Beg His deliverance. Calm the storm. Take this out of my life. Heal me of this thing. Save my daughter. Whatever it is that's broken, fall at His feet and beg. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that... As we're here coming to you, as we're here, entreating you, as we're here praying, raising up um, our worries, our concerns, our praises, our hungers, our thirsts, our loneliness, our 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 enslavement to sin, our whatever, Lord God, as we raise these things up, that you would heal us, that you would remind us that that there's no clever sermon that does the job; it's just you, and that. There's no hard work that does the job, no amount of money that fixes the problem. That is only Christ, only your Son, redeeming us from the grave, healing us from uncleanliness, like that delivers us. In Christ's name, amen. Um, Hopefully I'll get to all of the other stuff I missed during,